The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, uh, motivation is an interesting beast, isn't it? Um, I can wake up some mornings, maybe even most mornings, and feel like I could take on the world, you know? And then there are other mornings where I wake up, um, like barely, you know, and just feel like, man, I just don't want to do anything. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it at all, right? Do you feel this? Is it just, is it just me that this happens to sometimes? Okay, we get it. Um, hey, what motivates you? What motivates you just in general, in, in life, um, for work? <laughs> it, it, what motivates you in your relationships or for taking care of your health? Or being an active part of, of your community, what motivates you? And I'll just turn that dial just a, a, a little bit, adjust the frequency. What motivates you to obey God? What motivates you to live the Christian life? To, to live out the will of God? Now, sometimes if Christians are honest, um, the answer is fear, <laughs> you know, and, and we'll say things in our heads, usually not out loud, um, but we'll say things like, um, you know, I better do these things that God commands and I better not do these things that he forbids or else, right? Um, sometimes our motivation is reward when it comes to God. Boy, I'd sure like a better life. I would really enjoy him answering my prayers. And so I'm going to do these things that he wants me to do so that, right? Within the world of evangelicalism, there's also a segment that seeks to be motivated by hype, okay? And, um, you know, sort of the spiritual high or the, the, the energy of a crowd that can move us along. And then there's good old-fashioned moralism. You know, why do I obey God? Well, gosh darn it, it is just the right thing to do, you know? What motivates you to live out the will of God. Listen, this is an immensely important question, and it's a, a question that we really have to get the answer right on as we turn from Romans 11 into Romans 12. See, as we leave Romans 11 and turn into Romans 12, we leave these sort of soaring heights of, of theology, and we enter into boots on the ground living out the Christian life. And we need both. We need good, solid, even soaring theology, and we need a really good understanding of what it means to actually live that out in our life. Some of you are going to be sad to, to leave the first 11 chapters of, of Romans. You love it there. And as we get into the practicals, as we get into some of the more tangible aspects of Paul's letter to the Romans, you're, you might actually even find yourself less interested if that's you, let's, let's just be clear that there ought to be a, a little yellow light on the dashboard of your life, right, that says, warning. The reverse is also true. Um, if you couldn't wait to get out of the heady stuff, right? If, if just tell me what to do already, you were saying for the last several weeks, right? If that's how you're approaching Romans, you too should have a little yellow warning light on on the dashboard of your life. We need both. 
In fact, one without the other isn't actually Christianity at, at all. Christianity is not just a set of beliefs that we hold to, like, the, like our, our sins being forgiven and our union with Christ and, and being heirs of God's mercies and, and all that sort of stuff. Likewise, it's not just a, a list of rules to keep. Do this, don't do that. It includes both, and it's actually much, much more. But our theology and, and our action, right, our our doctrine and our duty, nothing ties the two together quite like the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. See, Paul in our text today, here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, give your whole self to God. All of it. Give, give everything. Be holy and, and fully devoted to Him. Like, All in. (laughs) No holding back. And then in the rest of chapter 12, all the way through the first half of chapter 15, we see that get fleshed out, right? We see the Christian ethic or the the will of God for your life fleshed out with respect to your relationship to other church members, um, with others in general, with the government, with respect to the Old Testament law, with respect to your enemies, (laughs) and even weaker Christians within the Christian community. We really start to see some some ethical implications of the gospel here. Paul is telling us how to live. But in order to walk in that, we really need to make sure we get the motivation right. Look at our text here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1 begins this way. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. First, notice how he addresses them. It's interesting, coming out of Romans 9 through 11 and all that stuff dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles and us knowing a little bit about some of the contention that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Christian church in Rome. Paul here addresses them all as one. Brothers, he says. He appeals to them. And the word appeal there is probably a kind of a soft translation. Paul here is urging them. He is exhorting them. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he's urging, he's exhorting, appealing to the Roman Christians to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. We'll look at that in just a minute. But what's the motivation? Do you see it? The mercies of God. The mercies of God. Now Paul's just said quite a bit about the mercy of God. In fact, nine times through Romans 9 through 11, Paul has used that word. Nine times, right? And the whole point of Romans 9 through 11 was to say there's only one way in. There's only one way into the kingdom of God. There's only one way into the family of Jesus, and it's by God's mercy. It's all only by the mercy of God. All of it. All the no condemnation. All of the no separation. Our our union with Christ. Our promised eternity. Our our receiving of the spirit of adoption. Being called now children of God. Heirs. Indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Promised glory. being, Being considered more than conquerors. 
Being in a state where neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all only by the mercy of God. And all the multitudinous, manifold mercies of God are to make us to say, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Like Paul has been bringing it in the letter up till this point. Just wave after wave after wave of God's mercy towards sinners like us. And as those waves of mercy roll over you, they melt your heart and you realize, I am nothing. Jesus is everything. I don't deserve any of it. I actually have nothing to offer to him. And yet, he's everything to me. He's withheld nothing from me. He has given me everything. His all. And when the full reality of that settles in on you, you don't say, all right, gosh darn it, from now on, I am going to try as hard as I can to be really, really good. Moralism isn't the motivation. Moralism isn't the response. Fear isn't either. When there's no condemnation, there is no fear. When your eternity is secure, what's left to fear? Reward isn't it. He's given you everything. We don't need hype. We've got a tsunami of his mercy. No, when the real gospel really takes hold of you, you really want to give the real Jesus everything. Mercy is the motivation. God's unstoppable, undeserved, unconditional love shown to you. And it's only when that wave really crashes like decisively in your life that you're able to hear, willing to hear, and live out what Paul says in this text. Like, number one, give yourself wholly to God. Again, this is the overarching thing Paul says here. Give yourself wholly to God. This is a big deal, especially for the Jewish Christians in Rome to hear. Remember, Paul has said we're no longer under the law. We're, we're no longer bound to the law. And the pressing Jewish question then was, what's the basis, what's the motivation then for morality? What, what's going to direct Christians to live in ways that are pleasing to God, to live out his will? And this wasn't just a good question for the first century Jewish Christians in Rome to consider. It's a great question for us to consider. Having the doctrine down, right? Having the, the motivation correct, resting in the mercies of God and being motivated by the mercies of God, you and I are to live lives pleasing to God. That's what this is about. We don't just get to live um, however, whatever we want to. We're to live according to God's will. 
The Christian ethic is not summed up, you do you. The Christian ethic is summed up, you do God's will. Paul says it this way, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now notice first the the language that he uses here, present yourself, present your body as a living sacrifice. To to present, we understand this, right? To present is to, to bring before God Just like a a sacrifice would have been presented to God in the Old Testament on the altar. Laying it before God. Paul's using this Old Testament sacrificial language here. To present yourself as a living sacrifice then is to lay yourself before God and say, here I am. It's putting yourself fully at his disposal. And you're not a dead animal, right? You're alive. In fact, you've been made alive in Christ. You're a living sacrifice. You're not presenting yourself in your death to him. You're presenting your life. You're living to him. Holy, he says, set apart, dedicated to him, consecrated. Counted holy, we know from the rest of Romans, by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus, but also now living as holy. Walking in his ways, acceptable to God or pleasing to him. We know that because of Jesus, we are accepted by God, but now we're talking about living a life pleasing to him. Again, walking in his ways, not out of fear, not for reward. Rather, God's acceptance liberates us to live in a way which is acceptable to him. God's acceptance of us liberates us to live in a way now acceptable to him. It's giving of yourself wholly to him. All of you. Paul uses the word body here. He's going to refer to your mind in the next verse. Okay, Paul's not talking about presenting your body apart from your mind and your soul to God. No, he's saying present your entire person to the Lord. That includes your body. It includes everything about you. But it includes your body. Think about your body. Some of us don't like to think about our bodies. But think about your body for a minute. Think about presenting your body as a, a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to Him, set apart for Him, dedicated to Him in accordance with His will, pleasing to Him, And what would be different if you woke up every day and presented yourself to God like this with your body? If you prayed, Lord, my eyes are consecrated to you this day. Everywhere I look, everything I see, help me to see it as you see it. My mouth, I I give you my my mouth today, another part of my body, I give you my mouth today to say what you would have me to say, to to build up, not tear down, to speak truth, to do it in love, to share your gospel, bring healing words to people, about my feet, 
Wherever my feet go today, Lord, wherever you should take me, wherever you place me in my home, at work, with my kids, I'm yours. I'm yours. These hands, (laughs) would I serve others with them? Lift up those who are, are falling or flailing. These arms, would I provide gospel hugs to those who are in need of one? To those who are lonely, to those feeling unloved, these ears. And would I be attentive to the needs of others with these ears and actually listen to people when they talk? Would I close my hands and my eyes in prayer to you for them, but then also open these hands back up in any ways that I can serve a brother or sister in Christ in practical ways. My energy, my strength, like all of it being stewarded for the Lord. Are you beginning to see it? What presenting your body, your your whole self to God might look like? There's a song by a Christian band that I I like to listen to named House Fires. The the song is called Open Space. And there's a the chorus goes like this, singing, singing to God, the chorus goes like this, my heart is an open space for you to come and have your way. I'm open. I'm open. And then this, do whatever you want to do. Saying that to God, not self-proclaiming it yourself. Singing it to God, do in me, in this open heart of mine, do whatever you want to do. Say whatever you want to say. Move however you want to move. And change whatever you want to change. (laughs) That's the sense of what Paul's talking about here. That's the sense of giving yourself wholly to God, putting yourself at his disposal, a living sacrifice. Or if you prefer an older hymn, which actually folds the motivation piece back in, because older hymns are always better. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friends, this is... Your spiritual worship. Your whole life is worship. Worship isn't just what we do in this room. Worship didn't just start when you got here at 10 o'clock. No, worship is you presenting yourself, all of you, all the time, to the Lord. As a living sacrifice. Moment by moment, all of your life surrendered to Him. And then I'll note this, that the word for spiritual here in verse 1, where Paul says spiritual worship, it's a peculiar word. A couple of reputable translations actually render it reasonable. That's a legit translation of this word. It can mean rational, logical, which seems a little bit contradictory to spiritual in a sense until you realize and understand that in light of the manifold mercies of God, yielding your life like we're talking about here, in light of those mercies, is eminently reasonable. 
It's completely rational. It's a thousand percent logical. In fact, in light of God's multitudinous mercies, anything less than giving yourself wholly to him would be irrational. So I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters of two pillars. By the mercies of God, (laughs) present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. And Paul gives us two commands in verse 2 in that direction. Two things that he tells us are to be at play in our lives in order to give ourselves wholly to God first, or point two for us this morning, live a life of nonconformity. Live a life of nonconformity. We see this in the simple words. Paul puts it in the negative. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. That's a command. That's a biblical imperative in the negative. Do not be conformed to this world. Oh, the world wants to conform us, doesn't it? I love how J.B. Phillips in his old paraphrase of the New Testament puts this. He, he, He paraphrased it this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's that's what the world tries to do, isn't it? You feel that as you go about your life? Like the, the world just trying to squeeze you into its mold when you go to work? When you check the news? When you see advertising? What is that? It's the world trying to squeeze us into its mold. When I was in college, um, one, of the, one of the part-time jobs that I worked for a bit in college was for a circuit breaker manufacturer here in town called Square D. It's called Schneider Electric now. It's down there across from the penitentiary on the old Highway 2. Right, one of the areas of the factory created the, the black plastic housing for the circuit breakers that were assembled there. And so... Um, you would, we, we, made, we made the plastic housings there, right? And so you'd pour into this molding, this big molding machine, you would pour into it the raw materials, which are like this blackish gray powdery stuff or sometimes pellets. And then that got mixed with some other stuff. And, and then, and then it got, the heat got turned up really, really high, right? And then out popped these molded circuit breaker housings. Our lives are a little bit like that. There's the raw materials of time and and opportunities and material possessions and and desires and relationships. And and all that gets mixed in with the something else, the other stuff of, of culture and a whole lot of heat. In the molding operation at Square D, oftentimes you'd look over the molded parts after they came out of the molding oven and there would be on them um, what's known in the industry as flashing. It's like these little burrs, okay? So if you picture a square block, that's kind of what we're talking about. And there's like this little thin thing kind of hanging off the edge of it, excess material. It's like a little burr, right? And you'd have to take those parts then, put them through another process, which basically sandblasted the flashing off of them so you got a nice, clean, and smooth part. Our world does that, doesn't it? It tries to press you into its mold 
And then any flashing that's left tries to blast it off. Just blast it off. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says. You know, every parent knows something about this imperative. It's the imperative at play anytime um, we ask a kid, hey, if everyone else jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? You know, brilliant, brilliant parenting line right there. It's a good one, right? But now apply that to other areas of your life as an adult or a teenager. Apply it to your work. You know, if, if everyone else skipped out a little early, would you? If everyone else used just a, an, an hour or so of, of work time to, you know, check the personal email, scroll the social medias, you know, do all that sort of, would you? Apply it to school. If everyone else cheated on that test, would you? Or, or would you say no, even if it meant a lower grade, even if it meant not getting the scholarship, even if it meant not getting into the school that you wanted to, would you? This is the world, friends. It likes to squeeze us into its mold. And those are simple examples. But the point here is to prepare you for the bigger ones. If the tide of culture decides that one's biological sex from birth doesn't matter, will you? If the world tries to conform you into its mold with regard to sexual ethics... Will you? I saw an article the other day titled Three Reasons to Consider Consensual Non-Monogamy. Another one called Ethical Non-Monogamy. And we might shake our heads and say that's crazy, but how far have we already been molded? If God's design is for no sex outside of marriage, but the culture is squeezing, like everyone else is doing it. If God's word says sexual immorality and, and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, how far have we been molded? And what would it look like to not be molded? To not be conformed to this world. One author puts it this way. He says, Sincere followers of Jesus in every age have faced very difficult decisions, usually at the point of tension where their life with God and for God ran straight against the prevailing cultural norm. We've always been strangers and aliens in the world insofar as our values seem so strange and bizarre to those around us. We're now faced with a series of decisions that are going to make us look like freaks. I'm not implying that any of this is easy. There's no easy button for living a life of nonconformity with respect to the world. <laughs> the world says, in, in a million different ways, the, the world says, don't put Jesus first in your life. Don't, don't deny yourself. None of that really matters. You do you. Conform, conform even within the church. 
Hey, even within gospel preaching, gospel loving, gospel believing, gospel living out churches like ours, we can dupe ourselves into thinking that a life of nonconformance to the world doesn't really matter that much because I've been saved by grace through faith and there's no condemnation now. If that's how you're thinking, you're utterly missing the teaching of this church. If that's how you're thinking, I strongly encourage you to go back and read Romans 6 and 7 today. Anytime you begin to grow complacent toward your sin or cease to experience conviction over it any longer and have like a a numb indifference to sin in your life, you, my friend, are on very dangerous ground. And I get it. I get it too. I came to Christ when I was 22. The ruts of my old life were not easy to get out of. Some of our ways of thinking and and behaving are not easily exchanged. Like There are things and and mental habits in my life that I still struggle with from my pre-Christian days. There are all kinds of struggles, right? New ones too. Look, that's always going to be the case around here. Like, we're not preaching perfection. But as a, a missional church who's seen 80 people baptized in 13 years, right? Um, we need to realize that we are all on a journey. We are all in process. God has been, he's been doing his sanctifying work longer in some of us than in others. And he doesn't work at the same rate in all of us either. So we're patient with each other. We embrace the mess of that, but also we heed this command of Paul's, don't be conformed to the world. We heed it because of the mercies of God. This is why he said back in chapter 6, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but what? Present yourself... Present yourself to God. There's a war going on, and we wage that war, putting to death the deeds of the body, not conforming to the world, but also, Paul says, one of the most important ways we wage that war, the parallel positive command for not being conformed to the world is being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a very interesting way that Paul words that, isn't it? He's after transformation, right? There's an imperative here, a command, and yet it's in the passive sense. Be transformed. He doesn't say, transform yourself by the renewing of your mind. That's what we expect him to say. He says, be transformed. The command is something like, give yourself to this being done in you. How do we do that? Well, he tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying the way in which our lives are transformed is through the renewing of our mind. That takes place through The teaching of God's word, it's taking place right now. Right now. There is transformation happening in your life 
even if you're like, doesn't feel like it. You put, you put Sunday mornings like this together, you stack them up over a couple decades of your life, there is transformation happening through the teaching and the preaching of God's word in your life. It takes place through the study and the reading and meditating upon God's word, which you do on your own, in your home, or with others. As you give yourself to that, you, you begin to think differently about sin. You begin to think differently about yourself. You start to see yourself as God sees you. You begin to think differently about God and even about other people around you. God is at work in you. His word is alive and active. As you give yourself to it, God works in you, counterforming you counterforming you against all the forming and conforming that the world is trying to do to you the rest of the week and the rest of your days, squeezing you into its mold. This is part of what Jesus had in mind when he said in John 17, sanctify them in truth, Father. Your word is truth. See, when you read or or hear taught or meditate upon God's truth, the Holy Spirit is at work transforming you. As you meditate upon a truth like, God will never leave you nor forsake you. And as you read the Bible and see examples of God not leaving, not forsaking his people, you're being transformed. As you meditate upon a truth like God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And then you read a book like Joshua, which is all about God being faithful to fulfill his promises. And you take that in and you meditate upon the truth that God is faithful to to fulfill his promises. And I see example after example of this in his holy scripture. You're being transformed. Listen, some of the modern brain science that's coming out about rewiring the brain and teaching our brain different pathways for certain thoughts and so on, that's not accidental coincidence that rules Romans 12 verse 2 useless. It's actually science proving Romans 12 verse 2. This is how God designed you. But not just to be transformed by the power of positive thinking, or the visualizing of the future. He's designed you and me to be transformed by the renewing of our minds by his truth, his truth, Holy Scripture. When you sit during a sermon and hear, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. And guilt and shame start to lift from you the weight of that. You're being transformed. When you read the Gospels at home, on your own, early in the morning, maybe late at night, or or squeezing it in wherever you can during your day, right? When you read the Gospels and you see the love of Jesus and story after story, you're being transformed. It's forming you. And it's counterformational to the conforming influences of the world. 
I love how Henry Skugel said this over 300 years ago. He says, the, the love of God and the love of the world are like scales on a balance. As one falls, the other rises. <laughs> That's the idea. Because we give ourselves to God's word and the glorious truths in it, we're not just getting data. We're not just storing up biblical knowledge. We're being sanctified by the truth. God's word is truth. We're being transformed by the renewal of our minds. Our love of God is increasing. Our love of the world is decreasing. Our attachment to him is growing stronger. Our attachment to the world is growing weaker. Our eyes are more fixed upon glory. Our eyes are less fixed on the vanities of this world as it passes away. Our understanding of his will and his way are coming into sharper focus and the Holy Spirit is actually producing delight in us with respect to the will of God. That's what the last part is all about. Where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we begin to subject what we learn to the testing of everyday life. And as we do that, we begin to discern that the will of God is good. It's acceptable. We like it. We even begin to say, it's perfect. And one of my kids, I can't remember, it's probably the oldest one. Uh, there was a show when they were really little called Yo Gabba Gabba. And um, Yo Gabba Gabba, I think it was Nickelodeon or something. There's this little jingle in Yo Gabba Gabba where one of the characters, I think her name was Tootie, uh, Tootie didn't want to eat her yogurt. And so the little jingle was this, try it, you'll like it. Try it, you'll like it. Over and over and over again, right? Paul's saying something similar here. As we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, we begin to discern the will of God and we start to apply it in our life. We try it. And as we try it, we find we like it. Try it. You'll like it. We begin to say the, the will of God for my life is, is good. It's delicious. He loves me. He, he knows what's best for me. He wants what's best for me. And as I give myself to that, I find it is best for me. I find it's good. Even when it's hard. Even when I don't understand his will completely. Even when I don't understand why he would forbid this or why he would command this. Even when I don't know why he's taking me through something right now, why he's withholding something maybe right now. I'm growing and trusting him and surrendering to him, to his will and his way and me walking in it. 
It's good, you begin to say. It's acceptable. It's pleasing. It's even perfect. It's perfect because, after all, it's God's will. We know that. Because it's God's will and it's perfect. You begin to say, I love your will. It's good. I delight in it. I want more and more of it in me. I want to live in more accordance with your will, Lord. But it's also perfect in that all it proposes for us is perfect. God's plan for you is perfection. That's what heaven will be. You in perfection. Perfectly walking in his will. Perfectly glorifying him as a resurrected and living and eternal sacrifice. And this is the aim of the Christian life now, friends, to bring us into greater and greater conformity with the will of God here and now, not just to get you forgiven, but for you to be transformed. As you're conformed more and more into the will of God, more and more of you says, here I am, Lord, a living sacrifice to you, holy and acceptable. Use me. I'm yours. Your your mercy overflows in me to the point where I say, everything about me is yours. Glorify your name through me. Be glorified by my spiritual worship. Let's take a moment and just quietly where you're at, um, pray over these points up here. Just silently to yourself. Hear from God. And then I'll pray over us and we'll get to the table. Father, help us now to present ourselves before you as living sacrifices. Holy, fully living our lives for you. Open us up increasingly to your will being done through us, in us. God, reveal, even now by your Spirit, ways that we are resistant to that. Resistant to the idea of of living out your will. The, The little anarchist that resides deep inside of each one of us, locked away in that compartment. Would you flood the doors open of that compartment with your mercy right now? 
and change us. Lord, for anyone that's, that's here this morning that's experiencing conviction, would they bring that to you? Ways in which we have been conformed by the world, would we bring that to you? Would we know, God, that as we bring that to you, what we're met with is nothing less than your manifold mercies to us? But help us bring it to you. And transform us. Be transforming us, Lord, by the renewal of our minds, seeing more and more of our lives brought into accordance with your will, that we would glorify you. That others around us would see you glorified through us and be drawn towards your goodness too. In order for that to happen, God, we're going to have to not look just like the world. And so shape and mold us by your will. Help us to see that it is good. Help us to taste and see that it is good. And as we try it, would we like it? And would it propel itself to further obedience, further of our lives being conformed into your will? We pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.